I am really pleased to be able to present this stuff to you. And it's material that Penny and I, the two of us have worked on quite a lot of this together. Not only what I'm going to share tonight, but also some of the material coming up in the uh, in the next few weeks. So we're starting a new series called Men and Women in Christ, A Divine Harmony. And I hope to be able to present some things tonight that will introduce the topic and the way we're going to approach it that will be spiritually edifying for us all. So we're going to be starting a new series exploring the topic of men and women in the Bible and how they can work together harmoniously, bringing the gifts of men and women together to glorify God, to build up the church, to expand God's kingdom. That's our goal how to work together harmoniously. I believe the scriptures do give us a lot of insight about that. And we're not talking here about married people, by the way, men and women. We're just talking about men and about women. So this is not just for married people. We're talking about unlocking the gifts we all have to bless the church and the world. Now, on Sundays, the plan is to look at examples of men and women working together, uh, some of them working together harmoniously, some not so harmoniously, and most of the situations are quite mixed. But this week, for example, for Easter, we're going to look at the women at the empty tomb. We're going to look at Mary Magdalene. We're going to talk about uh, Joseph of Arimathea. We're going to talk about the Apostle Peter. So we're going to talk about men and women there. Um, the next week, we're going to talk about Adam and Eve. We're going to look at, at Genesis 1 to 3. The following week after that, I think, is Barak and Deborah from the Old Testament. And after that, it is, I think, Mordecai and Esther from the book of Esther. And later on, we'll look at some New Testament characters like Priscilla and Aquila. So we're going to look at men and women in the scriptures on Sundays, looking at the what the Bible's showing us about that. These classes on a Wednesday night or whenever we have them, these are going to be more looking at particular texts um key texts about the role of men and the role of women some of which have been very controversial uh, perhaps for us perhaps for other churches and denominations and christians over the centuries so we are going to look at some passages which are uh, controversial we're not going to deal with the details of those tonight this is more of an introduction but we are going to get to some of the passages that um uh have caused controversy and still do the other thing i want to say about this <clears throat> excuse me is that we're not studying all this material to try and find the right position about men and women's roles, what's permissible for women to do in the general assembly, as we call it, on a Sunday or not. We're not looking to develop a position. What we're looking to do is explore. Let's explore the scriptures with open hearts and open minds to figure out what God is showing us about this and then what that means for us. So wherever we land on what we think the Bible says about regarding what is or is not appropriate in the assembly, we want to be the kind of people who treat men and women just the way Jesus would. And that's our goal, because we're disciples and followers of Jesus. We want to treat men like Jesus did. We want to treat women like Jesus did. That's more important than the specifics of roles and where we land on doctrinal positions, I would say. And I hope in that way that we won't then be looking for a particular position that we prefer, and therefore we won't divide over disputable matters, important matters, but ultimately not directly salvation matters. We're going to be uncovering our assumptions, assumptions about scripture, assumptions about men and women, assumptions about God's will. And we all have those assumptions, whether we know them or not. What I want to do is show you a, 
a, a video clip it's only a minute long in fact no 30 seconds long and this is a video of a newspaper advertisement that was on television back in the 1980s someone's put it up on YouTube and I managed to get it um and so it is quite dated it's in black and white and it shows a video of um, a skinhead from those days in the 1980s and a businessman and so on and you'll see it and it's an advert for what was called the uh, the Guardian newspaper whose whose um the point they were making is that if you read the Guardian newspaper you'll see things from a different perspective we'll show you things that other news outlets are not showing you that was the the idea so let me just uh, share my screen and we can watch this uh, together hopefully this will work all right an event seen from one point of view gives one impression seen from another point of view it gives quite a different impression but it's only when you get the whole picture you can fully understand what's going on so you get the point right from the video there that um it looks like one thing's happening from one angle the skinhead's going to attack the businessman but then from another angle oh no he's actually saving the guy so we're we're doing our best to uh, uncover our unconscious biases about scripture and to look at scripture with fresh eyes that's what we're uh, trying to do we try to hear the scriptures hear God and hear from one another and our different understandings of scripture listening to one another so this class is essential if we're going to learn together as a community and the way we approach the Bible is what we're going to talk about tonight because the way we approach the Bible is more important than how much Bible we know our attitude to the Bible is the key thing so I'm going to share some thoughts now on how to have good Bible study that I think these principles will help us in the weeks ahead and then we'll have some time for question and discussion at the end so feel free to uh, to think about things you want to discuss or ask as we go on so first of all let's talk about uh, some issues that are very important for accurate Bible interpretation and I'm thinking here about genre so genre is important poetic language is part of the way the Bible is um is uh, written the Bible is written in various different different literary genres poetry uh, narrative uh, apocalyptic language is used uh, law language wisdom language prophecy language the gospels are a different genre and epistles letters are a different genre for example in Psalm 24 verse 7 which I think is on your handouts we have this in verse 7 lift up your heads you gates be lifted up you ancient doors that the king of glory may come in this is poetic language it's not that lifting up the your heads you gates is different from being lifted up you ancient doors the doors and the gates the point is not that some are doors think and some things are gates the more is it's about the entrance of the king it's poetic language trying to read poetry as if it's narrative doesn't make any sense right we read the epistles as letters because they're letters they are not law documents we read these things differently just like we'd read a novel differently from your gas bill you don't read them the same way you don't read your gas bill for entertainment I would imagine so different parts of the Bible are different genres and so we read them a different way so genre is a very important thing as we learn to interpret the Bible accurately second thing that's very important is context uh, the story is told of a Christian who prayed Lord I want to know your will for my life and I trust the scriptures 
to provide this for me today. That's not a bad prayer. We do trust the scriptures to give us guidance. So his method of uh, finding out God's guidance for him that day was to open his Bible at random, expecting to receive guidance from the Lord. He opened his Bible at random and it fell to Matthew 27, verse 5, which reads, Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. Or well, rather worried about this, the Christian then thought, well, I, I'll try again. So he let his Bible open at random to another scripture. And it read from Luke 10, 37, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Well, he's really worried now. So he thinks that can't be it. I'm going to open the Bible another time. And randomly it opens to another scripture, which is John 13, verse 27, which says, what you are about to do, do quickly. That doesn't seem the right way to find guidance from God, because each of those scriptures was taken out of context. There's a saying in, um, in Bible interpretation, which is that a text without a context is a pretext. In other words, sometimes we look for things in the Bible that confirm what we believe or what we want to do. And we're looking for a text, a, by a text means just passage or a section of scripture. We're looking for something in the Bible which would justify our own opinion or our own plans. And we're not looking at the context of what goes before and after. Does that passage really mean that? Or is it, or do I want it to mean that? Context is very important. It's important to interpret a text in what's called its co-text. So every Bible text has a context. It has its co-text. In other words, the text before that bit and the text just after that bit. It all needs to go together in uh, one unit. The scriptures immediately surrounding any text are just as important as the text you're particularly focused on. And that's going to become particularly important when we look at some of the more controversial passages um, about men and women's roles, especially in the New Testament. In other words, we can't be cherry picking scriptures out of context to prove a point we've already decided is true. So genre is important. Uh, context is important. And then as well as the particular local context for a passage, there is the whole Bible context as well. You may remember when Jesus was taken, uh, was in the desert for uh, 40 days and the devil came to tempt him. One of the things the devil uh, did is he took him to a, the holy city. This is Matthew 4, verses 5 to 7. And the devil had Jesus stand on the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up in uh, their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. That's what the devil is saying. You know, you're going to be fine. Throw yourself down because the Bible promises you'll be taken care of. Then Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And that's from Psalm 91 verses 11 to 12. Jesus knew his scripture. He knew that what the devil was saying, although it was a real, a real command, it was out of context. And he was able to put other scripture together with that one to uh, to understand the right and wrong thing for him to do. So one of the things we always ask ourselves is not only what is near the passage we're looking at, but what does the rest of the Bible say about this? So when we're examining the issue of men and women, and we're talking about difficult, perhaps sometimes difficult issues to understand about the, the role of women and the place of women, we're not just looking at one passage in one book, we're looking at what the whole of Scripture tells us about that topic. What else does the Bible have to say on this topic is always a good question to ask when you're studying a particular passage. 
So context and genre and local context and whole context of the whole Bible. Now, let's talk about some technical words some of you may have heard of and some of you may not have heard of. And those words are exegesis and hermeneutics. Herman and the neutics. So exegesis, what is exegesis first? So exegesis means drawing out. It means drawing out as in you, you're looking at a passage and you're drawing out its meaning. That's what it means, exegesis. And it's focusing on understanding the meaning of a particular text in its original context. So that's usually a short, relatively short passage of uh, scripture. Hermeneutics is broader. Hermeneutics is about understanding the or exploring the principles and methods of interpretation. So it's about principles and methods rather than the actual text itself. Let me give you a couple of examples of a hermeneutic. There are different, um, there are different kinds of hermeneutic. One kind of hermeneutic is called allegory. And allegory is when you take a passage of scripture and you see something else behind it. I'll give you an extreme example, which I think I put on the handout which is from Augustine. Augustine was an early church writer, and uh, he's very typical of that period. From the second, third, and fourth centuries AD, the primary hermeneutic was allegorical. They would take a parable, usually a parable, but other passages of scripture as well, and see things behind the realities of what that is talking about. So the stories weren't really stories anymore. They were almost like code to be interpreted. And Augustine did this with the parable of the Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, 25 to 37. And I've, I won't go through all of these now because I think they are on the handout, but there's some of them are quite amusing if you think about it. So he sees the man as going from Jerusalem to Jericho is not a man that Jesus is just talking about for the illustration of a story, but that's Adam. And uh, Jericho means the moon, which signifies Adam's mortality. The thieves in the story are the devil and his angels. Um, they left him half dead, uh, as a man he lives, but he died spiritually. So he's half dead. That's what Augustine is saying about that. Um, the Samaritan represents Christ. So he's Christ in, in the story. And, and there's a lot more of this. And even at the, at the end, he sees the innkeeper where the Samaritan takes the beaten up man as, uh, the apostle Paul. And of course, that can't be right because the Apostle Paul wasn't on the scene yet. That's anachronistic. He comes later on, many years after the telling of the parable by Jesus. So this, um, this way of interpreting is very creative and you could say almost entertaining, but you've got to ask yourself, is that what Jesus meant? You've got to ask yourself, what is the point of a parable and what is the point of that parable and does it fit with that kind of hermeneutic? And I would say, actually, no. Allegory is not generally accepted as a, a legitimate hermeneutic today. But another example would be the literal hermeneutic. A literal hermeneutic, for example, would take a passage like John 6, 54, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. They would use that as a justification for saying, when we take bread and wine at the communion, it literally physically becomes the the uh, the blood and the flesh of Jesus Christ, because he said that's what's happening. I mean, if you look at John 6, on one level, that is kind of what he's saying. But then again, you look at the whole context of John 6, and in fact, connected with some stuff in the Old Testament, and you begin to realize when you dig into it that Jesus is talking figuratively. But if you've decided the Bible has to be interpreted literally, we can't do anything, any other kind of interpretation, then you have to interpret a passage like John 6 literally and make it... A, 
connected with communion as as the people do and i have some other notes on that if you want that if you want those i'll give them to you later but that's what happens is you you've decided on your interpretation and you make something fit to it that jesus never intended and the thing about literalist interpretations is that they tend to be um tend to be inconsistent so the same people that would insist that it is really the flesh and blood of christ would not necessarily obey first timothy 2 verse 8 which says i want men everywhere everywhere that's a key word isn't it i want men everywhere to pray lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing does that mean every time men pray wherever they are they must raise their hands to pray without disputing well if you're going to take a literalist approach actually you'd have to say that but the same people that approach one passage literally don't tend to approach another literally and that's problematic so there's definitely some things in the bible that are literal but taking a literalist approach to the whole of scripture does violence to scripture and makes us be inconsistent a lot of the time so that's just a couple of examples of different kinds of hermeneutic uh, um, um, uh, allegorical and literalist there are many others but we haven't got time to dig into all those tonight my point is to illustrate we all have a hermeneutic we all have a way of reading the scripture and i'm hoping that as we go through all this over the next few weeks we'll begin to understand our own assumed hermeneutic that we may never have even noticed we had we all have a way of reading the bible so exegesis and hermeneutics exegesis is a part of hermeneutics hermeneutics is the larger framework that includes exegesis as one of its many components what tends to happen with exegesis if we're not careful is it turns into eisegesis and instead of drawing out the meaning of the text exegesis we put meaning into the text that's eisegesis putting meaning in we see what we expect to see it's very challenging not to uh, have that perspective at times when you've read the bible quite a lot but it's important that we do our best to uh, re uh, reveal to ourselves our unconscious biases which we're going to explore more particularly on our wednesday night meetings when we do things like this in our discussions but a book that i think you may find useful by the way and uh, i will put out a uh a, well, not a reading list exactly but a, a list of useful resources websites blogs pod, podcasts and books but one of the books that's particularly useful for this uncovering of biases is a book called misreading scripture with western eyes not all of us on the call here are of a western background so and but all you've been influenced by western thinking though that's for sure misreading scripture with western eyes removing cultural blindness to better understand the bible i can recommend that i think i put the reference on the show notes it's a book by richards and o'brien and although it's not in that book but it, the same kind of issue uh was revealed to me in another book where a missionary to bedouin tribesmen in the 19 i'm going to say 1970s i think around that uh was was out there sharing his, the gospel with uh bedouin tribesmen who'd never heard of the gospel they, they were moving around they were living in tents very old style um lifestyle and he was telling them parables but through an interpreter because he didn't speak the language and he was telling the story of the prodigal and when he got to the part in the story well, at one point he was telling the story and the interpreter was interpreting it and at one point all the bedouin just stopped and roared with laughter they laughed their heads off they thought something that had been said was hilarious and the chap who was telling the story to the interpreter couldn't work this out because he didn't think he'd said anything funny so he asked the interpreter why do they laugh and the interpreter said 
Well, I told him that part of the story you just said, which is where the father sees the son and runs to the son. Well, what's the big deal with that? The guy said, well, you have to understand in their culture, no father, no older man, no father runs anywhere. The older you get, the slower you walk. No one's going to run like that. And they thought it was funny. And it revealed something to him and to me in that we don't, we miss that. In ancient cultures, in the time that Jesus was uh, around, when he told that story, they would have found that idea of the father running perplexing uh, at, at best. They wouldn't, what, why would he run? It tells us something about God and God's spirit and God's heart, of course, that's the point. But in, unless you get into the culture, unless you begin to un, un, um, uh, un, uncover your own biases and your, your blind spots, you never get to the real depths that scripture has and we can miss things other things that tend to happen with the western uh, perspective is we tend to read you as individual we read the uh, philippians or ephesians or galatians and we read you and we think well that's that's written to me but it's almost never you singular it's written to church congregations and communities and the you in the greek is almost always plural because community thinking was much more a thing and some of us may come from cultures much more like that. You'd understand that better than I would. We tend to read it as, as individual, where it's actually almost always plural. And another, for example, another example would be the way in which shame and honor culture has a big impact in Eastern thought. Shame and honor is collective in Eastern thought, not so much individual. Um, I've read a lot of books and uh, listened to a lot of material by Brene Brown, who's very famous for talking about shame, and she does some wonderful work. Um, but that's a very Western perspective, whereas in, in Eastern cultures, it's not about my shame, it's about our shame. And if I have shame, we all have shame. Western culture tends to emphasize rules as a way of getting individuals to behave appropriately. Shame cultures operate differently. It's the, it's the thought of what the community would think that really matters. And in, regarding Jesus and his battles with the Pharisees and the teachers of the Lord, losing a public argument as a Pharisee, as a rabbi type, it was shameful. Um, and you could say that the Pharisees, the teachers of the law and the scribes, they killed Jesus, not because he did miracles, not because he loved people, or not even because of perhaps his claims. They killed him because he was shaming them, not only them individually, but their whole community, their, the group of Pharisees. The Pharisees as a group were being shamed, and it, it irked them so much, they ended up colluding to get him killed. So again, we don't see these things unless we dig and we read and we learn what's below the surface of the actual words in the text. We, um, we have a lot, as you can imagine, uh, to, to learn as we think about this. Now, one uh, last major point, and then we'll have some discussion and questions if you want it. Um, the most influential hermeneutic method of looking at scripture is that of what's called the Stone Campbell movement or the Stone Campbell heritage. Who are Stone and Campbell? Well, Stone and Campbell were two men who were the most influential in the establishment of the restoration movement, which became known as the Churches of Christ in the 1800s. Barton W. Stone and Alexander Campbell were two people operating in similar ways but separately, got to know each other, realized they had similar aims of restoring New Testament Christianity, and teamed up to some extent. And they had they were a bit different in their perspective, but nonetheless, they had a lot of common ground. They really wanted to see people saved, and they wanted to see uh, unity amongst all Christian denominations, and they wanted to restore the New Testament in the present day. 
they weren't together and their method of interpreting scripture and in particular alexander campbell's because he was the more intellectual of the two became um became the norm for the churches of christ and lies behind a lot of the way that we have been taught the bible and understand it and understanding that hermeneutic that approach to the bible will help us uh, to uncover our blind spots and to hopefully interpret the scripture healthily so uh again we don't have much time for this right now i can tell you tell you more later if it's helpful but the key thing that comes out of this approach is what we call patternism or blueprinting in other words here's the bible it's the blueprint for my life or it's the blueprint for the church it's the pattern for the church is there some truth in that absolutely is it an adequate hermeneutic i would say no because it leads us into some very strange places and again i won't go into the details of this now but uh, as an example i think i've given you a quote from john mark hicks who is from that tradition but has written healthily and helpfully about it when he talks about ephesians 5 19 and it says that we're there that we are commanded to sing to one another and that's right but because it doesn't say uh sing and play your instruments the conclusion from a restoration hermeneutic is well then instruments are banned obviously god as is commanding us effectively not to use instruments because otherwise they would be mentioned singing is mentioned so therefore we sing instruments are not mentioned so therefore we must not use them now i'd say that's going a bit far but that's some of where we a lot of us grew up in that kind of uh, background or that kind of approach to scripture and it's affected many of the other ways that we interpret scripture that we may not even realize uh, we've inherited our doctrines on many things, including our approach to what men and women can do in a public setting in a church context. And a lot of that has been absorbed without questioning and without thinking for ourselves. And I think it's time to re-examine those scriptures for ourselves so that we can have our own conviction about it. In terms of practical advice, I put that on the handout. I won't spend much time on that now, but just to say that it's important that uh, when we come to a text, controversial or not we look at it in its context uh, local context in its whole biblical context what it meant to the original hearers and if it's not exactly clear to us what could it have meant and sometimes a very helpful clarifying question is what could it not have meant and then what works for our context today reading books like this that give us different perspectives from people who are experts in the field are helpful talking together about what we're finding and hearing each other's perspective is very helpful for us praying to have an open mind about scripture is very important and remembering that we often ask the bible questions that the original writers weren't trying to answer it, they we would ask a question of a text that they would think was very strange why are you asking that that's not what i was on about uh, a, a silly example in some ways might be why does the bible not talk about dinosaurs um it's just not relevant to any of the teaching of scripture so it's therefore it's not there it doesn't mean that no one understood anything about it or that it's not important on some level but it just wasn't important to the to, for god to record something about what happened to the dinosaurs so we're embarking on this topic that i think can be very inspiring for us all i hope for all the men and women in the church and we're going to look at a lot of scriptures and some of them are for sure controversial and i really pray that they will be though controversial i pray they will be stimulating to us for our own personal bible study and that we'll examine the topic with an open mind and heart but also we'll learn together as a community 
and we'll learn from each other's perspectives and that this whole exercise will give us tools to better interpret the bible when we come up with whatever the next main topic might be that we need to study in more depth again i want to emphasize that we're not looking for a particular position in this area of doctrine but we're going to explore and learn and see what the spirit reveals to us as a congregation and if we decide to change anything about what we do the way we do it that may come but that's not the goal the goal is to is to learn what god wants us to learn remember in the end all of this kind of bible study and conversation it's about god the bible is about god primarily not you and me so the big question is never so much uh, what does this mean and what should we do but the big question is what does this teach us about god and then once i figured that out we figured that out then okay how do we react to that in a way that pleases him so those are the thoughts i wanted to share with us today i hope you find them helpful i'm going to